My name is James Metzger. I'm the lead pastor at Renaissance Bible Church, and I just wanted to take a moment to thank you for tuning into our podcast. At Ren, we really believe that God's Word is living and active, that God still uses it to form and shape and change lives uh, for all of eternity. And so our prayer uh, for you is that God might use uh, these words to point you and others to Jesus. May God bless you in your journey. Father God, we thank you so much for, uh, for your grace and for uh, your goodness to us. Uh, Lord, I, I love uh, the words of Jesus when uh, he told his followers that it was better for him uh, to go uh, because he was going to send the Holy Spirit uh, to be with us. Lord, thank you for your Holy Spirit, your Spirit that comforts us and guides us, that, that teaches us. Lord, I pray that your Spirit might do that now. Open our eyes, help us to see what you uh, have for us to see Uh, from your word. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is living and active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword, that when your word goes out, you use it to change uh, hearts and lives. Lord, I give you thanks that your word is not a cadaver. It's not something that is dead or lifeless that we just look at and pick apart. It's living and active. It changes people. And so I pray that we, as your people, might be changed this morning. Only you can do that, Lord, and so I pray that you would do it for your namesake. Uh, God, we love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name and by your Spirit. Amen. Uh, One of the things that I love about children uh, is they will ask you questions about the things that you say um, and ask for clarity or definition about a word or a concept that you might use all of the time, um, but you don't always know exactly what it means. <laughs> like, have you ever done that before? Have you ever found yourself um, saying something or using words or talking about an idea uh, that you've heard for years and years and years, and it's just become a part of your vernacular, it's been a part of your uh, vocabulary, and you throw it out there, and kids will actually have the audacity to say, what does that actually mean? Um, And I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you before, uh, but you try to define what it actually means that you just said, and sometimes you don't do a great job. You go, well, that just, you know, it it just, uh, you kind of hem and haw a little bit, and then you tell them to go get a snack or go watch TV. Um, I think we do this all of the time, or at least some of the time in church. Um, If you grew up in a church or you spend any amount of time in a church, uh, sometimes we speak in Christianese, we say things um, all of the time, or at least some of the time, and, and occasionally we know what it means, but, but not always. And so this morning, I want us to think about an idea that oftentimes we talk about, uh, we invite other people to experience. We would claim that we ourselves are experiencing it, and yet I don't always know if we know uh, what it means. And the, and the phrase or this idea that I want us to think together about this morning is, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does, it, what does it really mean uh, to follow Jesus? If someone were to ask you uh, that question, what would be your response? How would uh, you answer? What does it mean to follow uh, Jesus? When I was growing up, it could mean any number of things. For some people, following Jesus meant that you sell everything uh, that you own, um, that you uh, get rid of all of your friends uh, that you once had, that you don't do the things that uh, you once did, you don't wear the things that you once uh, wore, and you move to a place without a Starbucks. 
That's what it looked like to follow Jesus. For other people, following Jesus meant that you stop using your brain. It's not so much that we use our minds to think about the things of God. Instead, we feel. We use our emotions, and our emotions trump our minds. We almost separate the two. And so for some people, uh, following Jesus means that we don't think about the things of Jesus. For others, following Jesus might mean that everything that is broken gets fixed. Right? It, it means that at one point your life was kind of messy, uh, that things weren't working the way that you wanted them to work, but you followed Jesus and all of a sudden um, things came together. Your relationships that were hard and difficult and broken all of a sudden were met with ease. Uh, parenting at one time seemed out of your grasp or a little above your head. It seemed like you were swimming in the deep end of the pool, but then you came to Jesus and your kids changed and you changed as a parent and everything was just clear sailing. Right? Your work, your finances, your career, whatever it was that was difficult for you, uh, once you started following Jesus, uh, it became easy. For other people, following Jesus uh, meant that we no longer smile, right? Because the things of God are to be taken seriously, right? And so, so we don't laugh anymore. And some of you right now are smiling. I would like to ask you to wipe the smirk off your face. You know, the flip side of that is true, though, as well, that, that sometimes we think that uh, following Jesus can just kind of be fun and games, and it's something to be taken lightly, and, and we don't spend time uh, being serious about uh, the things of God. When, when someone uh, talks to you about following Jesus, what does it mean uh, to really follow him? Uh, one of the things that I love about the Bible is that it oftentimes uh, defines or answers uh, some of the questions that we're wrestling with. Right? It actually gives us a, a picture of what it means to follow uh, Jesus. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn in them uh, to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, as we begin uh, to think together about what does it look like uh, to follow Jesus. And, and the question that, that maybe we should ask ourselves before we define what it looks like to follow Jesus is, who's Jesus? And if you're going to invite people to follow someone, if you're going to call them to follow someone, if you yourself is going to follow this person, um, then it seems like it makes sense that we should define uh, who he is. And so Jesus uh, asked his disciples this question one day. It's a great question. He asked them the question in Mark chapter 8, verse 27. The Gospel of Mark reads, And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others, uh, one of the prophets. So Jesus asked his disciples a question. Who do, who do people think that I am? Uh, what's, the, what's the scuttlebutt around town? When people talk about me and mention my name, who, who do they say that I am? And his disciples answer, well, some people think you're, you're John the Baptist, you know, come back to life. Others say you're Elijah. Uh, and still others think that you are a, a great prophet, just one of the prophets. 
You know, that question, who is Jesus, is a question that uh, people are still asking today. Uh, if you ask that question to a person, you might get any number of responses. Some people look at Jesus as, uh, as a spiritual leader. Well, he taught some good things. He had a, a few nice things to say. They're, they're interested in his life and in how he lived. He, he seemed as if he was a spiritual man, but little else. Other people would look at Jesus and say that he was a moral teacher. You know, if you want to teach someone how one ought to live, then you know, look to the teachings of Christ. And he talked about uh, loving others and sacrificing for others and giving yourself to others. And you go, well, those are all good things. Maybe Jesus was a good moral teacher, but little else. Maybe he was an innovative leader. You can look at his life and you can draw applications from the things that we see Jesus do and say. Maybe Jesus was like a life coach, right? Someone who had some helpful tips to help you experience success in life. Maybe Jesus was just one of many other gods that people worship today. Who is Jesus? Uh, Jesus asked this question to his disciples. It's a very general question. Who do people say that I am? But then Jesus goes from very general um, to very specific. Verse 29 reads, and he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Think, think about this conversation for a moment. Jesus asked the disciples, who do, who do people out there, who do they say that I am? And there's safety in that question because you can just kind of toss out some ideas. Uh, you can mention what people are saying about Jesus. You, you don't really have to pick a side. You can just simply say, well, this is what people are saying. But then Jesus goes from very general to very specific. But he looks at his disciples and he says, but, but who do you say? that I am. So no longer is he asking what other people say. He's not asking about uh, the crowds. He, he's telling them, in essence, I want you to step up front and center, and I want to ask you, who, who do you think that I am? Jesus does this all of the time. Right? Jesus gets personal. Jesus doesn't simply ask, what, what do other people think? Jesus says, what do you think? Just the other day, we were driving in the car, and I don't know how it came up, but we started having uh, a, a conversation in our van about ecclesiology. Um, we didn't use that word. Um, it's just that we were having a conversation about the church, and uh, Noah was asking me a question about uh, an issue in the church. And I said, no, that's a great question. And then I responded very pastorally. I said, well, some people uh, believe this. Uh, other people uh, believe this. And still other people uh, believe that. And I thought to myself, whew, I handled that well. And then he asked a follow-up question. He said, what do you believe, Dad? Well, that changes the conversation. And it changes the conversation because no longer can I point uh, to other people. 
Uh, No longer can I quote another theological work. Uh, No longer can I rifle through my seminary notes in my mind that more and more are escaping me. No, he's saying, what what do you think? What do you believe? That's what Jesus is doing here to his disciples. He's not asking them anymore, what do other people say that I am? He's saying, what what do you believe? What do you believe? Who is Jesus? Who do you believe that he is? I mean, if that was you, if, if the spotlights were turned out here and Jesus got personal with you and said, who do you think that I am? What would you say? I think there's value in understanding our options. I think there's value in understanding uh, what uh, appropriate responses might be to that question. And I think sometimes uh, we operate under the assumption that there are actually more responses than, than maybe there actually are. I love the very familiar quote by C.S. Lewis as he was uh, talking about this very idea. Uh, he, he, he really challenged people to consider who Jesus claimed to be uh, and then to, to formulate a response to who you think he is or who you think he was uh, based on uh, what are true and accurate responses. Uh, C.S. Lewis writes, I am trying here to prevent anyone, uh, anyone saying the real foolish thing that people often say about him. And that is, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about this being a great human teacher. He has not left that option to us. He did not intend to. C.S. Lewis said that Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or he was Lord. And so Jesus asked his disciples, Who uh, do you say that I am? And Shockingly, Peter was the first one to respond. Uh, Peter said, you are the Christ. You are the Christ. This is Peter's confession of uh, faith. You, not, not someone else. You are. You, you really are. It's, it's you. The, right, exclusively. You are the Christ. You are the anointed one. You are the Savior. You are the Redeemer, right? Peter confesses it, and he got the answer right. If he wrote this down on his theological exam, there would be a little smiley face next to it, right? He would have got a gold star. Peter answered correctly, and everything after this moment for Peter uh, is easy. He lives the victorious life. Uh, Things go well for him day after day uh, after day, and he lived happily ever after. That didn't happen. 
Right? That didn't happen. This was Peter's confession of faith. He looked at Jesus and said, you are the Christ. And look at the response from Jesus, verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Remember, the expectation for uh, the Jews would have been for someone to come and conquer the Romans. Right, to, to free God's people. They wanted a political leader. They wanted someone uh, to sit on the throne. They wanted someone uh, to, to come who would restore power to its rightful position. Uh, they wanted someone who would come and give them back uh, their home and rule on a throne. And so Jesus does not fit their expectations. Doesn't fit their expectations. So Peter says, you are the Christ. And Jesus said, I have come uh, to suffer, to be uh, rejected, to die, and to rise again. Jesus is very clear about how uh, this is going uh, to play out. And notice Peter's response. Right? Peter had just looked at Jesus and said, you are the Christ, verse 32. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. No, Jesus it's not going to go down how you said it was going to go down. Right? Peter pulls him aside and is like, no, no, Jesus, you got it all wrong. Peter rebukes Jesus, but turning and seeing his disciples, Jesus, verse 33, rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. I think about this. It's easy to look at Peter's uh, confession and to applaud what he said. Peter got the answer right, right? Bravo, Peter. He finally gets it. Peter has come around. He finally sees Jesus uh, for who he is. Peter shows up with his bold and brash faith, and he speaks what is true. But you could argue uh, that for Peter, he spent the rest of his life growing in his understanding of his confession. He spent his life doing this. Two observations from this passage. Uh, number one, confession. Our confession of faith begins character development, but it does not complete it. Your confession of faith begins character development, but it does not complete it. Uh, that means that you can know the right answer and say the right thing, and, and people can hold your life up to the light and see some inconsistencies. Right? Th this is what happened to Peter. Peter looked at Jesus and said, you are the Christ. And then Jesus told Peter what he's come to do, and Peter rebuked Christ. It's not going to play out like that, Jesus. And Jesus tells Peter, right, who just answered correctly, get behind me, Satan. There, there are times in your life and in my life uh, when, when we get the right answer, right? when we're, we're taking our theological exam and we go, ah, it's number C. I know it's number C. It's always number C. And we circle number C and we get it correct. Um, and yet there are times when our, our life uh, may be marked by inconsistencies. Uh, because, just because we have a right uh, confession, just because God uh, begins to develop our character and begins to change our hearts, uh, does not mean that it is completed here and now. It will not be completed until the day of Christ Jesus. This is Philippians 1.6, right? 
Right? God, who started a good work in you, will carry it out into completion to the day of Christ Jesus. It is a lifelong endeavor. Confession begins character development, but it doesn't complete it. A second thing to notice um, here is that mission clarity oftentimes exposes a mission drift. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, James, what? <laughs> where did you get that? Where did you get that? Just looking at verse 33. Well, mission clarity exposes mission drift. Jesus, listen, Jesus was not primarily uh, a leadership guru, right? Jesus did not come primarily to write books on leadership. However, uh, Jesus was the greatest leader ever to walk the planet. He's the greatest leader ever to walk the planet. And, and Jesus was the most missional and mission-minded man ever to walk the planet. So much so that when people came along his path and tried to get him off mission, oftentimes he'd go, no, no, I'm not going there. I'm not doing that. I don't want you to tell anyone what I just did. Right? And the reason that Jesus did that is because he came for a mission. He came to seek and to save the lost. He came to do his Father's will. He was the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. And if anything distracted him from that, oftentimes he would walk from it. Right? I think there's wisdom here for us to know what God has called us to do. Right, to know the work that he has called us to and to be able to determine uh, whether or not something is an opportunity or a distraction. Right, because there's a ton of opportunities, but for us and what God has called us to, um, the risk is that it becomes a distraction in our hearts and in our lives. Right, so notice what Jesus is doing here. Jesus has this conversation with the disciples. And he says to them, who do people say uh, that I am? And then Jesus gets really personal and says, who do you say uh, that I am. And Peter answers, you are uh, the Christ. And then Jesus unpacks what that means. Right? Jesus is saying, in essence, yes, you are correct. I, I am uh, the Christ, and this is what will happen. I will be rejected. Uh, I will suffer. I will die, uh, and I will rise again. Uh, so, so back to our original question. Right? What uh, does it look like uh, to follow Jesus. What does it look like to follow Jesus? Assuming that we look at Jesus and we say about Jesus, you are the Christ. You are who you say that you are. What does it look like uh, to follow him? Verse uh, 34 begins to tell us. Verse 34 reads, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So this is what it looks like uh, to follow Jesus according to Jesus. It looks like self-denial. It looks like self-denial. Um, it can look uh, and does oftentimes look like suffering and shame. And it does involve submission. At first, it involves self-denial. It it means coming to a point in time in life when we realize that we are the, not the ones calling the shots, um, that, that we do not exist here on this earth primarily for ourselves, that life uh, is not about us. Um, oftentimes we function in such a way that our favorite person on the planet is us. <laughs> My favorite person in the whole world is this guy. It right? is me. And oftentimes... 
And apart from the Spirit of God changing us, we function in such a way that our favorite person is ourselves. But to follow Jesus is to deny self. In staff meeting uh, last week, we were sitting around and we were discussing uh, this passage. And as you can imagine, uh, in a staff meeting, we were all looking at the original Greek. We were, we were dissecting this passage. We were talking about the early church fathers. Right? We, we were reading all of the great reformers. None of that happened. But then, but then someone in our staff meeting who will re- remain nameless decided that they would quote a great theologian from our time. Perhaps uh, you've heard of him before. His name is Kid President. And Kid President said, we need to live in a world with fewer selfies and more other peopleies. I thought, that's right up my alley. Right, we need to live in a world with less selfies and more other peopleies. Right now, there's some grammar challenges there, admittedly. Uh, but there is an idea there uh, that I actually believe is true. Right? To deny self, to not live uh, for self, is to live life instead uh, focused on God and his people and his kingdom. It's looking around and, and not being consumed with thoughts about how I can advance uh, my own cause. Uh, what can I do to advance Team Metzger? And instead thinking about uh, what can I do to come alongside and serve others. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, it involves uh, denying self. It, it means taking up your cross. Think about that for a moment. I think even for me, that, that whole idea of taking up uh, your cross is just so foreign to us, right? It's just so foreign to us. But for them, it would have uh, meant that they would suffer, that they would experience shame, that they would die. That was the purpose of the cross. The purpose of the cross was to condemn the criminal. It was so that they would experience suffering. It was so that they could be put to shame, so that a watching world could look at them and go, there's another guilty one. I wonder what they did. I wonder how they messed up. They got what's coming to them. Right, so when Jesus said, I want you to take up your cross, there, this is an invitation uh, to experience suffering. It's an invitation to experience shame. It means there will be times when because of the choices that you make and the things that you say and the things that you're passionate about, other people will look at you and go, you are certifiably nuts. Right, you believe that? can't believe that you believe that. I can't believe that you would say that. I can't believe that you would argue that. Right? If you follow Jesus, you will experience suffering and shame. You will be called to a life of submission. Take up your cross and follow me. Jesus, when he says follow me, is saying, I want you to take your life and your desires and your actions and your, your motives and your thoughts and I want you to bring them up under the authority of me. Right? The, the thought is that, that the God of the universe would speak and that God's people, you and me, that we would listen and that we would follow and that we would obey. That there would be part of us that say, yes, Lord. You tell me to go, I will go. You tell me to stay, I will stay. Whatever you tell me to do, whatever you ask of me, sign me up. I am in. I am in. I mean, think about this for a minute. This is, this is not a soft invitation. Jesus did not tell his disciples, he did not tell the crowds, hey, listen, you follow me, 
right? You get some, you get some fire insurance, right? You'll experience joy and peace. Life will be easy. He does not say that. It is as if you follow me, you are to deny yourself. You will experience suffering and shame and submission uh, to my way of life, to my teaching. And so my question, when I read this, my question to you is why, 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 why would anyone in the world, in a world that values, that values autonomy and individualism and independence, say, I'm in. Sign me up. That sounds appealing to me. Who in their right mind would do that? Who would do that? Why would anyone here deny yourself, live for others, and go, that sounds good? Who would here take up your cross, experience difficulty or suffering and shame? Who would hear that invitation and go, I want to be first? See, I read that, and I just, I mean, I wonder if there isn't this part of us that should should consider what it is that Jesus is actually asking. Is it worth pursuing a path that may not be easy? Is, is it worth living a life where I'm going, God, you need, to, you need to break me of self so I can live for you and for others? Is, is it worth people looking at me and thinking that I'm weird or that I'm crazy or that I'm any number of other words that are a whole lot worse than weird or crazy? Is it, is it worth giving my life away? Is it worth living with other people in mind? Is it worth it? But if that's the call, if that's the call, is it worth following Jesus? One of the things that I love about Jesus one of the things that I love about Jesus is uh, he speaks uh, what is true, um, not only to our hearts, but also to our heads. What I mean by that is, is I think just in our flesh, just, I mean, if we were to be honest with ourselves, we would say that that call, that's, that's a lot. Right? It, it seems like a lot. And I think that Jesus knows that people might think uh, that it is a lot. And so Jesus uh, gives us reasons uh, why it is worth it. He gives us reasons why it is worth uh, denying self and experiencing suffering, shame, and submission. He, he tells us, uh, beginning in verse 35, why it is worth it. He says, he gives us four reasons. Reason number one, for whoever would save his life will lose it. Uh, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Jesus, in essence, tells his disciples that uh, when you uh, lose, you gain. Right? When you lose your life, you get life. And he's saying whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. In other words, if we uh, live for ourselves, if we live life uh, navigating our way through life, thinking to ourselves, how can I advance my own cause? How can I get uh, my own? How can I live in such a way that I experience the things that I want to experience, that I can experience comfort and safety and pleasure? How can I, how can I think about myself more often to get what it is that my heart longs for. And Jesus says, if you turn away from me and you pursue that life, uh, you will lose your life. You will lose your life. He says, if you want life, 
If you want to experience life, then give your life away. Reason number one why it is worth following Jesus, even when it involves a submission or suffering or, or shame, is that you gain a win you lose. The second reason is found in verse 36. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to forfeit his soul? In other words, to have everything and not to have Jesus is to have nothing. But to have everything that this world affords and not have Jesus is to have nothing. Here's the deal. You, you may turn from Jesus. You may consider the claims of Jesus and you go, ah, it's not for me. It's not my cup of tea. I'm going to go and I'm going to do my own thing. There's things that I want to experience. There's things that I want to accomplish in life. And Jesus, in essence, says you can do that and it's very possible or at least it's possible that you actually experience uh, the life that you desperately want. He says you can, you can do that you, you can profit uh, from, from the way that you live life. You can have all of the experiences that you long for and you desire. But what good is it if you lose your soul? Right? If you gain the world and lose your soul, Jesus is saying that, that is not worth it. Reason number three why it's worth following uh, Jesus even when it is difficult is found in verse 37. Uh, for what can a man give in return for his soul? In other words, there is not a great exchange rate uh, for your soul. If you're willing to, to walk on eternity for the here and the now, Jesus is saying that, that doesn't seem like a good idea. The fourth reason why it's worth following Jesus is found in verse 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. In other words, Jesus teaches us that if you spend your days not wanting Jesus, Jesus will give you what you want. And if you spend your days not wanting Jesus, uh, there will be a day when Jesus gives you uh, what you want. You can spend your days, I can spend my days, bowing uh, to the crowd, uh, seeking the approval of outside voices of the masses, or we can spend our days uh, bowing to Jesus. One will give you temporary approval. Uh, one, quite honestly, will feel uh, good in uh, the moment. Uh, but the other uh, will allow you to experience what is eternal. Uh, the other will allow you to experience uh, what will last. It may seem like a life of self-denial or suffering or shame or submission is too much uh, to give, but I suggest to you this morning that it is worth it. Missionary to Africa, David Livingston, uh, said, to, said this to a group of Cambridge students. Uh, he said, for my own part, I have never ceased to rejoice that God has appointed me to such an office. People talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Away with the word in such a view and with such a thought. It is emphatically no sacrifice 
Say rather, it is a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger, now and then, with a foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life, may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink. But let this only be for a moment. All these are nothing compared uh, with the glory which shall be revealed in and for us. I never made a sacrifice. Right? So here is a man set aflame on Jesus, right? on the word of God, of going to uh, the nations with the gospel. And people look at the sacrifices that he made in, in order to pursue such a life. And they came to him and very honestly said, it seems like you are giving up a whole lot uh, to do what you are doing. Right? But there was something about his heart that looked at that and acknowledged that it was difficult. He said there are times when the spirit wavers, but only for a moment. He said it is no sacrifice. It is a privilege. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. To follow Jesus, to deny self, to experience hardship or shame, to submit ourselves to Jesus, it is not a sacrifice. It is a privilege. It is a privilege. And why is it a privilege? It is a privilege because uh, if verse 38 is true, then the flip side of verse 38 is also true. So if it is true that those who are ashamed of Jesus now will be ashamed or by him then, then it is also true that those who love Jesus and know Jesus and follow Jesus will be welcomed by Jesus into his glory. That's what the end of verse 38 says. When he comes in the glory of his fathers and the holy angels. A life of following Jesus may be difficult uh, here and now. Oftentimes uh, it is. But if this is true, then there is glory to experience. Right? Psalm chapter 16 says, In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures uh, forevermore. I am banking on the fact uh, that that is true. And if that is true, then this, the life following Jesus, is worth it. Uh, Renaissance, I pray that by the Spirit of the living God that you may see the goodness of Jesus today and that you may know that regardless of what you experience uh, in life, that it is worth following Jesus. Because one day, one day, one day, uh, one day we will see him uh, as he is. We will experience uh, his glory and we will experience a lasting joy uh, that never ends. I pray that you might experience it in part today and I pray that you might experience it uh, for all of eternity. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you so much for uh, the truth of uh, your word. We thank you that, that because of uh, the finished work of Jesus, that by faith uh, that we can enter into a relationship uh, with your Son and spend our days uh, following him. God, would you stir in our hearts such an affection uh, for you uh, that when it seems too costly uh, to chase after you, you would remind us uh, that it is worth it. Lord, I need that reminder every single day. 
And so be gracious to us and kind to us and remind us that you are worth it. God, we love you. We thank you so much for loving us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen.